When you want to check out a game review to see if it's worth playing, you'll probably grab your phone and search YouTube, or look it up on Twitch to watch a playthrough. It's easy to forget just how good we have it these days in accessing a variety of gaming content. Not too long ago though, it wasn't as prevalent. You had magazines and a few major websites, but you still had to seek them out. However, in Australia in 2006, video games went mainstream with a national TV show. It was called Good Game, and it aired on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, or ABC, Australia's public broadcaster. The ABC is primarily funded by the Australian government, and it was modelled on the BBC. Good Game came about at the perfect time, when people still watched appointment television, but just before the real explosion of YouTube and social media. The program brought coverage of video games to a national audience, driven by its motto, For Gamers, By Gamers. The show resonated with the Australian games community and gained a passionate following. But three years into its existence, Good Game went through a transition that much of its audience couldn't understand. You know, it's um, people kind of like make it into their own thing. And then you, you look at what they're posting on the forums and stuff and you're like, oh, not really. We tried to like, not ignore it, but kind of just move on. But our audience really wasn't ready to move on. And the more we kind of tried to make light of it or tried to acknowledge it, the harder it was for everybody. They immediately went to task at trying to find out everything they could about me and like dox me, Photoshop my face onto porn. <laughs> uh, yeah, just like every form of online harassment. And this is before I even had started. Like I hadn't even filmed an episode at this point. I'm James Parkinson. From Lawson Media, this is Gameplay. Stories about video games and the virtual worlds that power culture and community. In 2006, digital television was still in its early stages in Australia, and the ABC's new digital channel, ABC2, was in need of fresh content. So I felt, well, here we are, I'm working for a digital channel, you had to have a digital television. Most people in the country weren't on digital television by then, we were still on analogue. But this marriage of, you know, who were the sort of digital first adopters? They were video gamers like myself. And then the other side of video games that I loved was, you know, the fact that there is, there's so much more to it. There's art, storytelling, you know, history, deep engagement. It's a new form of storytelling that I found completely compelling. And I felt that the ABC should be in this space, that video games were a worthy form of contemporary content that were worthy of analysis, just like music and movies and other programs that already existed on the ABC. This is Janet Gator, a TV producer at the ABC. My name is Janet Gator. I've been making television for many, 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 many years. And one of the shows which I was responsible for, along with the team, was Good Game. So I kind of thought, right, I'm going to pitch to them that 
they should let us make this little show about video games. But then, of course, it was like, right, who do I know? Janet was part of a competitive gaming clan playing Age of Mythology and reached out to one of her team members about coming on board to help her make this new show because she wanted people who were genuine gamers. Yeah, so we kind of met uh, through that and just played a lot of Age of Mythology. I don't know how she got into the game. Um, She somehow found her way into that. For me, it was kind of like just a natural progression of the Age of series. Um, I think just through the voice chats and stuff playing Edge of Mythology, uh, Janet and I became quite good friends. And and Janet was like, you know, what if we made a a show about games? That's Jeremy Ray. I'm Jeremy Ray, a.k.a. Junglist. And um, I was uh, one of the creators of Good Game. And so, yeah, she floated the idea. And yeah, we thought, you know, there's no harm sending through a one pager and uh, proposal and all that. So we kind of sat together and came up with the all the elements that we thought should be in the show, uh, the format and the segments and what sort of tone it would have and all that kind of thing. So we were just kind of like, we, we did all that in kind of a day. We kind of sat in her basement and just bashed it out in a day. Good Game was a mixture of news, reviews and feature stories. And an important aspect of the pitch to the ABC was selling the cultural importance of games. You know, the ABC is a taxpayer-funded organisation. And so I've always felt that the show needed to have this element to it that was more than just review. You know, like the easiest thing to do would have been, you know, four or five video games reviews in it. Um, But I also wanted to have some analysis pieces. Um, And I'd come from a news and current affairs background. So it wasn't journalism, but it was interest. This new form of engaging with each other. What did it mean for the way we talk, the way we socialise? All of these sort of, you know, society kind of affecting aspects to video games that I wanted the show to cover. So it needed to have the ability to interest non-gamers as well. You know, whilst we wanted to talk in gamer lingo, and it definitely was, our core audience were gamers, you know, we always wanted to, to have that kind of aspect to our sort of thinking about it when we first started up the show. That initial pitch was enough to get the green light for a pilot episode and a very small budget to make it. Janet pulled in a few favours from friends within the ABC and even things like the set were pieced together themselves. I think we had about $800 total. There were a lot of people who gave their time to um, the pilot to just sort of make it happen, which is, it's not really the done thing. Like, you should pay people for their work. But, uh, yeah, like, there was no way we were going to pay. There's no way you're going to get camera work, sound, editing, uh, mastering, like, all that done for $800. All my friends came and shot it for us. We wrote it ourselves. They were our consoles, our... It was furniture from our houses, you know. <laughs> the original idea for the show was was very different to what happened. Um, and uh, it eventually became much better because originally we had just kind of... It was just going to be me. And uh, like when, when we were first talking about making the pilot... Like we had originally envisioned me as kind of like a researcher, like just like a background, you know, writing for the show and stuff like that. Uh, and the only reason I jumped in front of camera is because we couldn't pay a presenter. But we originally envisioned it was just going to be me in front of the camera. 
And uh, then we were just having a beer one day with my friend, Mike Mikowski. And uh, we were all just having a beer together. And he was like, hey, you should make a a two-person show. And, um, you know, he was right. Uh, (laughs) The dynamic did work a lot better with two people. And he did it completely like self-servingly. Like he did it, he suggested it with a view to him being the second person. Um, but he was also 100% right. And, uh, you know, the two-person dynamic kind of allowed us to work off each other. So we all sat down and so I first met Janet as well. Um, and we were kind of, you know, jotting down ideas and, and uh, you know, what the TV show could look like or segments of that TV show. And it was just the three of us uh, sitting around in, in the kitchen, essentially um, writing notes. And I'm pretty sure there was some pizza and beer involved at that point as well. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's sort of um, how things kicked off. G'day, it's Michael Makowski, also better known in Good Game and on Good Game as Kapowski. Michael Makowski and Jeremy Ray used to work together in customer service, and having two passionate gamers and friends as the hosts gave the show a good dynamic, especially because Jeremy and Michael weren't TV presenters that were coming into this with no experience of the industry, but just being themselves added to the authenticity of the show. Here's Janet. It's always great fun working with new people to the industry. You know, the guys, they trusted my point of view. They were both. It's very unusual to find people who can sit down, look down the barrel of a camera, feel comfortable and connect with the audience on the other side. That is actually a really rare thing. Not everyone has it. You can tell when people don't have it. You often see people on television who, you know, look a bit awkward or whatever. And then there's those people that can just do it. And they both could. Like, you know, they were, (laughs) it was, it was brilliant. They were brilliant. As far as adapting to TV world, I don't think there was a huge, like too much of a learning curve. Um, I think Jeremy and I were pretty fortunate in the fact that you know, you've got the editing prowess and some professionals there that can make you a lot better and sound a lot better than what you really are. And that and that was, I think, the stressful part for me. I go, oh, God, I wonder what this is going to look like because we might have had a few different takes or, you know, I might have mumbled up or jumbled up my words. And that, that did happen more often than not. But, yeah, um, we were pretty fortunate in the fact that we had such a talented team working at the ABC that made us look really good and probably a lot better than what we what I thought we were. Yeah, like a lot of that sort of came naturally because, you know, we we were the genuine article. Like we, you know, we just kind of went home and that's how we spent our evenings was like our, our entertainment preference was just video games, you know. Um, so we, we trusted our intuition and our gut with stuff like that. With much of the team being passionate about games, it was important that the tone of the show reflected that and appealed to its core target audience. This approach was also evident in the deliberate decision for Jeremy and Michael to use their gamer tags on the show, Junglist and Kapowski, instead of their real names. Yeah, that was my Counter-Strike name that I used. Um, and uh, it really just comes from my music tastes. Like, I really like drum and bass music. I love jungle music. And so um, anyone who likes jungle is, is a junglist. So, yeah, that's that's really all it is. I mean, it was just really a play on my surname and Kapow as in, you know, what you'd see in a comic between superheroes. Yeah, I think it was just a play on all those sort of things. 
In making the pilot, the team had a lot of creative freedom and just made the kind of show that they would want to watch. But there was still some convincing necessary in communicating to the ABC what the program was all about, right down to the name. I know we had to fight for it because we had to explain to the um, ABC executives what it actually meant. And, you know, this is like a respectful handshake at the end of a game, you know, just to type GG when you've finished a game with your opponent. It's something that gamers universally would understand and that the good doesn't mean you're only going to be talking about good games. And, I'm, you know, we won. The pilot was shot in a couple of days, with Jeremy and Michael writing their own scripts and reviewing the games. Watching it back now, it has aged a little bit in some of the jokes and quirky aspects, but you can clearly see the foundations of what the show would grow into. Good game. Hello and welcome to the very first good game. The show, the show for gamers, by gamers. I'm Junglist. And I'm Kapowski. On tonight's show, we talk to a master WoW player. Dr. Daniil is going to show you how easy it is to put together your own machine. We take a look at the new Xbox 360 game, Saints Row, and talk to the game developer. And Team Good Game steps up to the challenge of the number one Counter-Strike team in Australia, Team Immunity. But first, let's see what's making gamers news. Visually, it's clear to see the low-budget production value. Jeremy and Michael are sitting on a small couch in front of an old plasma TV with game controllers in hand and wearing matching Good Game t-shirts. The backdrop is just a black curtain behind a shelving unit filled with game consoles and a desk with a couple of PCs and monitors. Like there was a lot of stuff in those days. Like I remember sitting with like the audio uh, music guy and like we were just trying to get the music right. And I'm really into drum and bass and jungle music. So I got him to stick in like a a jungle beat, um, like a, a little bit of jungle drums. And um, then we just had me on the mic going like, good game. So that's you on the intro. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of stuff like that that we just kind of like, you know, it needs to be done. So just do it. Good game. From the pilot episode onwards, Jeremy and Michael didn't have a lot of time to practice and ease into their roles. They just had to adjust to everything on the fly. When it came to the actual day of recording, you only had you know a, a small amount of time to quickly rehearse what you wanted to get out and say. You know there wasn't any sort of auto cue or anything like that. We just had the the notes and everything was you know as natural as could be. And I thought we did portray that. I thought we did quite well. And obviously Jeremy and I being good friends um, and knowing each other, um, you know that that obviously um, I thought that kind of did come out on, on uh, set as well because, you know, we were talking about things and we were pretty, I think we're pretty natural in that sense as well. There's a little bit of like background nervousness that's hard to get rid of. Like even if you sort of shed yourself of the, um, the nervousness that you're conscious of, um, you, can, you can get over that. But like there's a sort of background nervousness that, that comes across. I think like the content was there. And like the the format was good and stuff like that. Like it was promising, but like, yeah, I think it would take a little while for me to grow into like a strong presenter and a strong games critic. Like both of those things came over time. At that point, there's still probably, it wasn't a case of, you know, there wasn't a feeling of excitement or anything like that. It was like, oh yeah, no, we're putting something together that may or may not um, happen. So there wasn't anything that was, you know, guaranteed, so to speak. Uh, but then, yeah, I believe, you know, from, from my memory and my recollection was that a few weeks after doing the pilot, uh, it was literally a case of, hey, you know, congratulations, you guys are going to be 
on air. And uh, Mike, you need to quit your day job and, you know, we're going to start start filming at Ultimo and we're going to start um, building some content for this new TV show known as Good Game, a show for gamers by gamers. The first season of 13 episodes was commissioned by the ABC. The budget was still pretty small and the set remained largely unchanged, but the team quickly formed a good working relationship, with Janet taking on the role of series producer. It was a bit of a magical time. It's really hard to get new shows, you know, made. Like it just is. A new idea, a new concept, new people, not television presenters, you know, not people that anyone – I mean, normally, you know, if you're going to get a new show up, you attach, uh, you know, in inverted commas, a name, you know, someone that the audience already know. You know, these guys were unknown. Um, so it was a pretty brave thing, but it was also – it was a little bit of a sort of a Wild West time in the way that – you know, we had this new channel at the ABC with a very limited audience that were able to access it. And so there was a sort of certain sort of freedom to that and an ability or a um, willingness to be a bit riskier and to, you know, maybe think a little bit outside of the normal ABC kind of programming. But the studio as well was wonderful because that was, um, again, ABC2 had built themselves a little sort of tiny, it was almost a cupboard really, this little studio that had intentions of, you know, being able to do little interviews and voiceovers and things in there. And so, you know, we saw this little space and we were like, oh, you know, we could just make it in that, which meant that we didn't have to kind of, you know, take up the big studio space. And it, it gave us a, a kind of um, a flexibility because we had our own little studio is very small and very cramped, but you know, we were kind of left alone in there um, to do our own thing. So it was kind of, it really was quite a magic time. <laughs> Good game initially aired on a Tuesday evening, which was deliberately chosen because it was a maintenance day for the World of Warcraft servers. The thinking was that while gamers weren't playing games, the show could fill that gap. Playing and reviewing games for a living might sound like fun, and it is, but it's also a lot of work, especially during a time when capturing hours of in-game footage was a lot more cumbersome than it is today. Here's Jeremy. Yeah, well, your recreational gaming just becomes gaming for the show. So um, any sort of like ideas that you have about getting on regularly to play the game that you love go out the window, and instead you go home and you play the game that you're reviewing that week. And um, that was cool. Like I was totally cool with that because I, I liked being exposed to new game design ideas. Producing a weekly TV program requires a relentless, grueling production schedule. And it's even more challenging when you add playing and reviewing games to that process. You really had to be flexible. Some games, you know, they, they take a long time and uh, <laughs> some games don't. So uh, we like we never had a policy as strict as like Game Informer where like we had to finish a game. My rule was kind of like you must gain a deep understanding of the game's systems. And if it's a story game, it's probably a really good idea to finish it. And um, yeah, you try to have some stuff in, in the, the old storage tank for when that happens so that you can uh, have something to, to put on the show while you're doing your two week game, you know. We had a plan. We'd collate everything. Um, everyone would, you know, work together. Everyone knew their roles and jobs. Um, and then scripting-wise, a lot of the time, I think that would get written up the same day that we would shoot because 
ultimately you've got all these different pieces of information and content that you're trying to bring it all together um, and ultimately the uh, you know the dialogue between the presenters us you know, myself and Jeremy would have to um, coincide with what we're trying to aim for within the show and, this, and that particular episode structure but at that time you know we were a small team I think there was probably about seven or eight of us there were certainly moments when the crunch levels were, were very unsustainable. Like to get some episodes out the door, I would be in the office, you know, till 1am, 3am, one time, even 5am. Yeah. It was kind of brutal. I mean, if you want to get it right, especially because like, you know, it's, it's my name on it. It's my face on it. Everything that comes out of my mouth is like, you know, it's uh, you kind of own it when you're the presenter. It took a lot of work, but I was capable of it. Um, so as long as I put the work in, which was, which was not a problem. Like I was always willing to put the work in, uh, probably too much work, but it would, it would just, it would happen. Like the presenting would happen. The writing would happen. I just, with the writing, I kind of like naturally just wrote a conversation in my head. And then with, with the presenting, like I had, I wasn't completely new to it. Like I had done some theater sports and some stage acting. So it was, it was the on-camera stuff that I had to get used to, but that, that kind of came and I, I kind of approached that in a really authentic way. I was, I was very much about like trying to look through the camera uh, and, and form an authentic connection with the people at home and just, just genuinely give my opinion like of what I thought about a game. Jeremy and Michael were putting a lot of time and energy into making the show because in the world of TV, programs typically get renewed on an annual basis and there's always the threat of a show getting cancelled. So there was an element of risk involved. Jeremy told me that prior to working on Good Game, he hadn't had a job for a while and was behind on rent during the creation of the pilot. And uh, this was, I think, this was coming off a period of like like a long period of me just playing Counter-Strike every day, like a lot of Counter-Strike, like, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day. And I was kind of taking it very seriously because my clan was like number one at the time. But as a result of that sort of period, I was not doing well financially. <laughs> And for Michael, he'd quit his job to work on the show, but he was also struggling during those 13 weeks of production. I literally yeah, quit my job, which I had a, I had a full-time job at that point, um, just to focus on doing good game. Uh, I wasn't a ABC employee, nor was um, Jeremy. So him and I, we were both contracting and essentially we would invoice the ABC for each uh, episode which, you know, for anyone that's listening, that's curious, well, how, how much were you guys getting paid? Um, well, it's $500 an episode was the, uh, was the amount. It was a bit of a culture shock for me, to be honest, because, um, I mean, and look, I, I was kind of accepting of the fact that, hey, this is the first season. It may not, you know, there was no guarantees. There wasn't any sort of inclination of, hey, we're going to get, you know more than one season it was it was you know in the back of the mind it was like hey we've got one shot at this let's make it as good as possible you know and and you know the the dollars was for you know filming hours and being there but there was quite a lot of time and effort it was a full-time job in itself um being able to you know write the scripts putting the scripts together working with the other team members on what's the segment going to look like what are the other things that we're going to do um, and it's not even just about that episode you've got to be thinking about two or three episodes in advance as well it's quite extensive in terms of what goes on and that was a bit of a shock for me I actually didn't realize the extent of work that would have been involved and there was quite a lot 
yeah, so there wasn't really an opportunity to have like, hey, I'm going to, you know, go from my nice cushy job at Optus to TV and then delivering pizzas on the side. It wasn't a, there wasn't even an option because there just wasn't enough time to have a second job. From a dollar's point of view, it was definitely a struggle and because I believed in it so much, you know, everything um, that I couldn't afford uh, went on the credit card. So I ended up getting, you know, racking up myself quite a substantial uh, credit debt um, on my credit card as a 20-something-year-old at the time. So, um, but, you know, that was my that was my gamble. My gamble was, well, you know, whatever I've got in terms of debt, um, you know, hopefully I can then repay that later down the track if we do get, you know, commissioned for a second season or third season and so forth. And I guess the expectation would have been that we're working on a shoestring budget because the ABC is just giving us like a crack here. Um, they're giving us a an opportunity here. So the uh, the budgets or the dollars allocated to individuals would have increased um, as seasons went on. For for me, because you know, I, I was in a I was in a bit of a in a rut in terms financially. I always had this sort of perception of I need to, you know, kind of mask the fact that I literally have no energy because either I've been playing video games till three in the morning or whatever it might be, um, and I'm tired, and now I've got to film at nine a.m. the next day. And add to that, I'm probably not giving myself the necessary nutrition because I can't afford it. Um, you know, so I had this little ritual, which, you know, it was obviously humorous at the time, but I, I don't think people understood the undertones of why I was feeding myself Red Bulls and Freons at the, at the actual ABC cafe. It was because I was trying to energize myself and, and get that energy um, on TV. And there were a couple of moments I recall that, you know, there were comments like, oh, Mike, you know, you seem seem a bit tired or a bit down today what's going on it's like it's nothing going on I'm just like you know financially a little bit pressed and probably physiologically and and mentally a bit stressed as well on the surface good game was performing incredibly well its ratings were higher than expected and a real community was beginning to form around the program The show had its own forums where the team could interact directly with the audience and ABC executives were happy with the work the show was putting out. Here's Janet again. Within ABC2, we were respected and loved and the majority of the people there were gamers and they knew what we were doing and we were making it in amongst them. I mean, most of the people on that floor were working on the sort of the digital side of the ABC, ABC online, you know, so that that was really good. And we so we were loved there. But in the main part of the ABC, like the traditional television, I remember we got this lovely note, which I still got somewhere, which was from the chair of the board which said something along the lines of, oh, we have noticed on ABC2 that you've got this show about video games and congratulations, this is exactly the kind of direction um, that the ABC should be going in to work with younger audiences and it's lovely to see some innovative programming coming out. So that was great. But our audience were digital natives. You know, they were downloading, they knew how to do that and they were watching it when they liked. So, you know, it was like these figures are amazing you know our audience is there they are accessing it they're just maybe not doing it through the traditional ways and they're certainly not being measured in the normal way that the abc would measure audiences yeah abc online loved us 
They really loved the numbers. They loved the community. They loved what we were doing. They had some people making the website for us and stuff, and that was really good. Yeah, I think like ABC Online was incredibly supportive, and they were absolutely chuffed with all the, the downloads and the ratings and stuff. Well, Jung, mate, it's been huge, but now we're at the end of the series. That's right. Thanks to all our contributors, all our guests on the show. And to everyone that sent us a competition entry. They were really fun to watch. All our reviewers and posters on the forums. Thank you so much for watching. Kapowski out. Junglist over and out. Season one of Good Game wrapped up in December 2006 with a special Christmas episode. Jeremy and Michael's send-off was left open-ended, but it was soon clear that the show was going to be renewed for a second season of 15 episodes. It was a reward for all the hard work put in by the entire team, but for Michael, the decision of whether or not to continue with the show was a difficult one. I guess, how did you kind of feel at the end of that, and kind of where were you personally at the end of it? Well, you know, it was great from an accomplishment perspective, um, and yeah, obviously we, you know, we found out that um, yeah, hey, we've got approval for a second season. Uh, well done. Let's start getting ready. So that was, you know, that was moving forward. And uh, I guess then you have that awkward conversation, and it's never an easy one, right? When you talk to the big boss, and this was uh, this was above Janet. Um, at the ABC, you go, hey, look, you know, great season and awesome. And you get, you know, all the nice things said about how things were and, you know, you feel great. And then you find out, oh, okay, um, but just FYI, like we've just got the same budget to work with. And you're kind of scratching your head and go, okay, well, what does that mean? And it's like, well, that means you're just going to get paid the same as what you did in season one. And I think that's when probably, you know, that's when my heart dropped. I'm just like, oh God, I'm, I, I don't know what, what I'm going to do now because I've got, yeah, some crazy debt now um, because I've been putting everything on the credit card because, you know, I'm not a gambler by, by you know, any means and that's not, that's not any, I don't have any traits like that, but I was, in this, in this sense, I was gambling, um, you know, saying, well, you know, I believe in this and this is, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in control to some extent of, you know, how this is going to pan out. So, you know, I'm, I'm backing myself. And yeah, unfortunately, it didn't pan out that way. It was a case of, no, it's the same budget. And, you know, there were suggestions like, hey, you know, like, why don't you just move back home and live off your parents and, um, you know, travel on a bus into Ultimo? Probably would have added another hour or so of trip time. So I was, I was looking at all of these aspects going, well, this isn't going to work. Yeah, this is going to be a, a big challenge for me um, to make it work. So, yeah, I kind of just said, look, guys, you know, it, and I kind of pressed on it a few times. Are you sure that, you know, not even $100 extra an episode or like literally that that's all I needed? And uh, yeah, it wasn't, um, wasn't happening. So then I thought to myself, like, is this a, just a subtle way of them, you know, pushing me out? Are they just saying like, hey, you know, great work on season one, but you're not really a fit for us. So see you later. Um, so th- those sort of thoughts, you know, played on my mind. Um, so obviously, you know, you start um, questioning yourself and questioning your performance and all the rest of it. Um, or is this, are they actually being genuine here that, hey, this is the budget, the budget's a budget and we've got to make it work Uh even at the expense of you know your financial situation because of whatever so yeah it was a it was a bit of a challenging time and 
You know, for me, like this is probably news for a lot of people and no one's heard this side of the story before, um, you know, because the reality is like you hide these sort of things and I was also, also about the greater good. Back at that point in time, I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to cause any trouble and cause any drama. Like, you know, I still believe in the show, even if I'm not going to be on it. So I said, look, I can't, I can't make it happen. So they said, all right, no problem. See you later. Um, we'll find a new presenter to replace you. And, you know, when that all kind of unfolded, um, you know, jumped on the forums and said, you know, kind of just stuck with the ABC dialogue of, you know, just say, you know, I think the PR team was kind of like, just say that, you know, you're um, going back to the same industry that you're you're in, um, you know, just not to cause a fuss, um, and that would be that, and we'll you know hunt for a new presenter. The first episode of season two of Good Game, starting in 2007, was a clip show with highlights of season one, presumably to buy some time. Then in episode two, Stephen O'Donnell was announced as the new host. My name is Stephen O'Donnell, but uh, most people know me as Barjo. While Stephen's personality brought a different energy to the show, he says the origin story of his gamer tag isn't as exciting. I went into my friend's room and I said, hey, we've got to buy a banjo. I mean banjo. And I, I just mispronounced the word banjo. And we didn't end up buying a banjo in the end, which is a real shame. And he just called me banjo for about a year. Stephen had a background in acting, mostly in independent and student films. But his career wasn't panning out as he'd hoped. The thing about trying to become an actor is you need to have a lot of talent and <laughs> and a lot of a lot of training. And I didn't have any of that. I just thought, hey, what what if I just do like forty short films? How will I go? And I did not go well. <laughs> Eventually, though, he did get a gig on TV, a late night call in game show called Midnight Zoo, which was kind of a thing in the mid two thousands, and it proved to be a stepping stone to the good game job. Let's uh, get our first game on the screen, shall we? Now, the only way you can be a contestant in our show is to call in or SMS. And this first game is Beatles songs. Beatles songs. What's the first song that comes to your mind when you think of the Beatles? Please don't blame me. It was a gig and it led me to to where I am today for sure. It taught me how to talk and I met some great friends. And if it wasn't for that, I might not have got Good Game because Good Game did an open call after that. And um, I submitted a video and did an audition and got the gig. So it happened very quickly after that. I was just about to give up, to be honest. You know, I'm a pretty determined guy when it comes to career stuff. But six months of after, after doing that show and getting nowhere and doing the rounds with all the networks and no gigs available, couldn't get anything. I was back to working in the cinema uh, that, I, that I was working in at the time before I started that late night TV show and almost gave up. And then uh, Good Game came up and I felt like everything I'd worked towards in my life was for that particular role. And I'm, I'm so happy that I got it. Good game. Hello and welcome to Good Game, the show for gamers by gamers. I'm Junglist. And I'm Bajo. The PS3 has finally hit our shores and we go hand to hand with the launch title Resistance Fall of Man. And we meet one of the true gods of gaming. Good Game began to pick up steam, with Season 3 being commissioned for a further 10 episodes in 2007, then 32 episodes for Season 4 in 2008. By 2009, Good Game had become a weeknight staple for the Australian games community, earning a 43-week run to fill out the calendar year. But it was also a huge turning point that would see the show go through its second hosting change. That's after the break on Gameplay. 
As an independent podcast, listener support is incredibly important for gameplay. So if the show is valuable to you, please consider becoming a gameplay member. Memberships are just five US dollars a month or fifty US dollars a year. You'll receive an ad-free podcast feed, bonus content, and I'll personally send you a gameplay sticker pack. There is a free tier as well if you're not in a position to contribute monetarily, but if you can, you'll be actively helping to make the podcast sustainable so I can continue to bring you stories you care about. Sign up now at gameplay.co slash membership. Thanks. Three years after its modest debut, Good Game was getting better and better each year. As the show's budget increased, the set was progressively upgraded, the production team increased, and the show was a little more polished. But it didn't lose its conversational tone, like you were sitting in on a chat between two friends in your lounge room. And Jeremy Ray and Stephen O'Donnell were settling into their roles as presenters and reviewers. Here's Stephen. I wanted to be in front of the camera. I wanted to jump around and, and be stupid and try and make people laugh or, you know, I, I liked, I liked that side of things and I liked the, the film and TV side of things, you know, editing, putting stuff together. So I hadn't really done much writing before besides the old script here or there. So it was a real learning curve for me to, um, you know, to, to learn how to write scripts. And, and eventually um, I found kind of my style and my voice in those scripts as well. And it, it was a big learning curve. Absolutely. And I think the the hardest thing was, you know, there was a lot of game genres that I hadn't really played a lot of, you know. So I, I kind of filled some of the holes, I think, in Jeremy's, you know, repertoire of games he played and he filled some of the holes in mine. So we all kind of, and the whole team was a bit like that, actually. We all kind of jigsawed together. Making a TV show is, a, you know, you're just a cog in this big machine. So while it was, you know, four of us in the room shooting at the time, the whole process is like 20 people from start to finish. Uh, so... I feel like I got to grips with all of the bits and bolts of stuff pretty quickly. I feel like I was, I feel like I was pretty good at that. I don't know if others feel I weren't, but I, I feel like that was um, a strength of mine, the knowing and understanding the process. How did you and Bajo get along and having that change and having a new kind of dynamic on the show? Yeah. Um, I mean, we got along well enough. Um, Bajo was clearly like, very very suited for the role he's very funny very witty so he's he's uh, pleasant to have around uh, the office in terms of like having a light-hearted atmosphere it was fun he, he made it very fun he was undeniably like bringing a lot to the show in terms of humor and stuff i i, I occasionally hear about stuff that happens in his life and i'm happy for him because it sounds like things are going well like you know heard that you know he was getting married and stuff like that and i was, I was happy to hear it um, and I was happy that he went on Twitch because like, like, I guess that's a chance for him to show that what you saw on Good Game with him just like being funny naturally, like that's just him in day-to-day -day life. You know, anyone who might've thought that it was just, just when the cameras were on, it's like, well, go watch him on Twitch. Cause <laughs> like, it's, you, you can't just like fake that for like hours on end. Yeah, I think we got on pretty good, you know. Obviously, we didn't end very well, but when we started, I think we got on good. Uh, we, we played a few games online. There was always, I feel, a little competitive 
competitiveness between us. I, I'm not sure if he felt the same way, but I always felt a bit competitive when we were gaming. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed working with him. I think he's a, you know, he was a, a really good presenter. And it's just such a shame that when he left the show, it was in such a, such a, a rough way. I think it was handled badly in every single way from all perspectives. In October 2009, it was announced that Jeremy Ray was being replaced on Good Game. The ABC released a statement at the time in which Amanda Duffy, head of arts and entertainment, said, quote, After three years, we felt Good Game needed a refresh to take the program into 2010 and beyond, and the decision was made to change the hosting team. From my perspective, uh, we, you know, we were having some production problems, um, and it's, it's probably, you know, I think you'd probably have to ask Jeremy his opinion and on what went down and how it went down from his perspective. It's probably different from my perspective, you know, different from others as well. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, that, that year that he left, he was asked to leave uh, a couple of episodes before we finished up for the year. Um, and I think that's a, you know, that's a sign of, of how badly it all was handled and how badly it was, you know, in the office. So I, I knew we were going to start up um, a new show. We were going to start up the kids show. And I knew that we were looking for another presenter so we could have a third presenter. And then we were going to like all rotate around the shows. That was kind of my, my understanding Spawn Point, the kids' version of Good Game, was due to start in 2010, which had been in the planning stages for about six months. Here's Janet. And that's when we went looking for another presenter to join our team. And the idea was very much that that was going to be um, for the children's show, um, but we knew we definitely wanted to have a girl gamer presence like you know there was some of us but we needed more now that was really important so that was that side of it and then you know the other side of it I guess from my point of view television is one of those things that requires deadlines you know it just does and we were finding it harder to sort of meet the deadlines that were needed on the show. And then that was kind of like a bit of a cascading. Um, it was just making things quite difficult. So there was that sort of thing happening as well. So it was like, okay, we've got a bit of a, a solution here, maybe with bringing in some extra people. But then, uh, you know, I, I don't really sort of want to go too much more into sort of the explosion at the end of it, but it was it was horrific and it was horrible. And it's, it's hard to talk about because I know there's a lot of pain associated with it. A lot of pain associated for Jeremy, um, you know, when he was asked to leave and a lot of pain for our audience because we couldn't really talk about it. I'm still hesitant to talk about it all today because I don't want to say something that might be taken the wrong way or, or you know, defame his contribution to the show in some way. So I'm not really comfortable talking about, you know, why I think he was asked to leave. I think that's really his prerogative to talk about. I don't think it's proper for me to, but um, certainly, certainly things had to change. I think because the ABC handled it so poorly and Jeremy reacted to that with the way he did in a way that also was probably a retaliation to the way the ABC handled it, uh, it was a nightmare. I mean, there's, there's so much that happened around that time. Like, there were some very minor clashes between myself and the the last executive producer, Kath Earl. And when I say minor, like, you know, there was there was like a couple decisions that she made that I didn't like, but I I kind of like went along with like I'm 
my personal, like the whole thing revolving around my exit and me sort of like uh, being loud about it and kind of fighting against it actually kind of goes against my personality type. Like I'm quite obliging and, and pretty chill most of the time. Um, but there was a lot of stuff that I had dealt with in the lead up to that. And um, it took a while before I even questioned one of her decisions. But uh, as soon as I did, like the atmosphere got really tense and it was, uh, I, th- I believe it was about moving our office to the other side of the building because uh, we had our office previously, like right next to the studio and the edit booth, which made it really easy to just like pop into the studio, carry some gear, pop your head into the edit booth, see what's up, as opposed to doing this five minute walk across the ABC complex. Uh, so she moved us to the other side for, you know, reasons. Uh, I kind of questioned that and... You know, it only happened like, I guess, two or three times where I was like, so what's up with this choice? And uh, she did not appreciate that at all, even though I was trying to be very diplomatic about it. Cool. So, yeah, me leaving the show. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it was more uh, a matter of me being forced to leave. (laughs) But, um, yeah, they... um, we had kind of gotten a, a third executive, or fourth, I guess, executive producer. Um, and the third year was mainly that that last executive producer, Kath Earl. She kind of called me in a meeting one day, and it was her and Amanda Duthie, and they kind of informed me that they wanted to change up the show and get a girl on the show. And uh, they wanted to sort of have a mass appeal, and um, that I was the one to be going. And... Um, People kind of took that later to mean that they wanted a girl for TNA, like they wanted, a, you know, an attractive girl to appeal to men. Um, but that's not really the case. It was um, uh, the way they described it to me, mass, like their sort of definition of mass appeal was more uh, representation focused. It was more about having a, uh, someone that little girls could look up to, to know that gaming was an activity for both girls and women as well as boys and men. But uh, yeah, so that was their their sort of reasoning, and yeah, so uh, that was uh, kind of the end of it for me. Um, and uh, I uh, I didn't I didn't love the decision. I wasn't really too quiet about that. Jeremy voiced his opinion on the Good Game forums, and some of his fans started online petitions to try and get him reinstated to the show. In response, the ABC issued another statement denying his claims. Quote, Jeremy Ray's performance issues were severely impacting the quality and smooth running of the show, as well as making life difficult for the rest of the team. You know, you've moved on. It's, it's been several years. Um, do you still maintain the same stance or have you kind of evolved to, to see things from a different perspective over the years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I maintain the same stance. Uh, you know, the, the ongoing behind the scenes performance issues. It's a bullshit line and it's the fifth or so story that they settled on. They had about five different stories for what happened. Uh, you know, first they tried to say I was going overseas or something like that, or I had different travel plans and um, they cycled through a few different things. And with each one, I was like, no, that's bullshit. Um, why don't you say what you said to me in the meeting? It's funny. They, they released a statement that had like some people putting their name on it to say that this has to happen, which could be interpreted in a whole bunch of different ways. Like 
it's very vague. It could be interpreted as the order came down from on high. But half of the people who put their name on that, like I didn't even recognize. Like <laughs> I was like, who the hell is this person talking about me and, and my work practices? Like I don't even recognize this person. I've never worked with them before. Uh, so the whole thing was kind of a big joke. Like um, I was very disappointed to see uh, some of my uh, people who were my good friends uh, kind of folding like origami, like um, trying to play the game, trying to keep up appearances. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't necessary in my in my view. Like I think they took it a bit too far. And uh, I am I'm of course going to defend myself. Like you can't just say that. And um, like I was very secure in the fact that I was doing great work. Like the the quality of my reviews was great. Um, the the quantity of my reviews was great. You know, all things considered, like I was I was still doing a great job, and I was very secure in that. So um, you know, when I was in those meetings with her, I was just like not accepting it. I'm doing great. The way that it, when I look back on it, like I'm happy the way I acted because my loyalty was to the fans and to the idea of the show. Uh, my loyalty was not to the ABC. My loyalty was not even to the people who work at the ABC. Um, it was just to the fans and the show. One of the things that I have sort of the deep regret over is the way that it was handled at the time. We, The way we spoke to our community, the way we interacted with our community was very specific and unique to Good Game. And the ABC didn't really have the mechanisms, didn't understand it, didn't have the mechanisms to cope with the way that we and our audience expected us to be able to speak. So whereas always we have been so sort of open and transparent and available, sort of suddenly we weren't it was we were sh sort of shut down and we weren't you know there was it was done sort of in a traditional media way you know press releases and managers of television saying this that and whatever and none of it sort of sounded like us which really sort of played into the conspiracy theory in a way of which there really wasn't and that was you know that was so unfortunate and I mean, obviously, I, I cared deeply about everybody on the team, but I also cared deeply about the audience. And you could see they just don't understand this. Why? 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 We like, we love this person. Why? And you go, okay, you know, can we please try and explain? And it, we just didn't handle that at all well. And so it was hard. You know, here's a guy I'd worked with um, for quite a while. And, you know, I thought we had a pretty good relationship, but certainly, you know, towards the end there, not at all. It was, um, it was rough. It was like a divorce, you know, <laughs> and it was so controversial in the forums. And I, I really, I really wish we had been able to resolve it differently. I really, truly wish that Jeremy had been able to stay with the show and I wish we'd be able to sort through the issues that he was having with, um, you know, with the team and with the ABC and the issues they were having with him. Because I think, you know, he's got a great voice in gaming and I think he's a great presenter. But, uh, you know, it, it didn't work out like that. And it was really, you know, I felt really hamstrung when it happened. I felt like I couldn't talk about what happened. And I still feel like I can't, you know, I feel like I can't talk about why it all went down the way it did. It's not my place to do that. It's not my responsibility to do that. It's the ABC's responsibility to do that. And it was Jeremy's 
you know, he had his own opinions and he, he voiced them in the way he did. And, you know, we haven't really spoken since. And that breaks my heart a little bit. But also I'm still a little bit like about it too, you know, that um, I couldn't really defend the show and defend myself in my own way. So, yeah, it's a real mix. It's a real mix of feelings. And I think it was probably because it's a public thing and it was so sudden and so abrupt. Yeah, we, we didn't handle it great either, you know, like we we were trying to work within the realms of, well, we can't we can't really get into it in too much detail because it's not right to do that in a public space, you know. It's not fair to Jeremy who can't reply and have his side of the story. So it's um it, it, we tried to like not ignore it but kind of just move on, but our audience really wasn't ready to move on. And the more we kind of tried to make light of it or tried to acknowledge it, the harder it was for everybody. So I think I think we all f***ed up. I think Jeremy f***ed up. I think we f***ed up. I think the ABC f***ed up. I think everybody made a whole bunch of mistakes and um, it could have gone a lot better for everybody. And that included the show's incoming host, Stephanie Bendixson, who had to deal with the side effects. My name is Stephanie Bendixson. Some people know me as Hex. I work in video games, pop culture. I'm an author and a content creator. Before Good Game, Steph was studying acting and theatre, and although she loved games, it wasn't something she'd considered for a career. The ABC put a call out for television presenters, and I thought that might be something that I might be able to do. And so the the audition called for us to make a video that expressed who we who we were as people. And so I went to Supernova, which is like a pop culture convention, because I was like, well, this kind of represents the stuff that I'm into and who I am. I was poorly cosplayed as Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> who was like my hero at the time. And I was just there filming some stuff to kind of make a montage reel of me just in, in my element. And I saw Bajo there and I just approached him just literally as a fan. And um, <laughs> we got to talking about games and stuff. And he mentioned that they were looking for a, a third presenter to add to their show. And that was like super exciting for me. It was a really, uh, it was a strange time because I'd also applied to be a presenter on, uh, on ABC three for their just like main kids channel. That was what I was originally creating the audition tape for. And I'd got quite far in that process and I went home and I wrote a bunch of uh, reviews and the style of the show that I was familiar with and I sent them into the show's producer and she had me come in and do a screen test and suddenly I was leaving uni and starting at the ABC. It was really wild. Of course, Steph was excited about joining the show, a program she'd watched as a fan. But as soon as it was made public, the online harassment started. It was pretty upsetting, I think, because on one hand I had you know, got this job of a lifetime that was going to change my whole life and I was really excited about it. And at that time, I think not a lot of people realised that I had been hired to join both Bajo and Junglist. It was going to be the three of us on the show because they were starting up Spawn Point in 2010. They wanted to add a third host to the lineup so that we could kind of mix and match all three of us across those two shows. And also, maybe if I started out on Spawn Point, it would be an easier transition for people to add a new, th- uh, a new host to the, you know, rotation. You know, that because we had that conversation, I would say sort of partway through 2009 and I wasn't starting until the end of 2009, there was a period where I knew that I had the job but I was still just kind of working and, you know, doing my own thing before I started. And, you know, there was something that happened between Junglist and the ABC 
and then was very public about the fact that he was leaving the show and that it wasn't his choice. And he then told everyone that they had hired a woman to replace him and he obviously had a very passionate fan base and so they immediately went to task at trying to find out everything they could about me and like dox me, photoshop my face onto porn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just like every form of online harassment. And this is before I even had started. Like I hadn't even filmed an episode at this point. So that was really scary. And I remember talking to Janet and I was like, what's going on? Like what's going to happen? And she's like, it's fine. Look, you're just going to host the show with Bajo now. We'll handle all this other stuff. The ABC will will manage um, Jeremy. And I was like, okay. But it just got worse and worse. And by the time I started, it was just like <laughs> – it was, it was so upsetting. I, I, I remember I was like, you start to get emails of people trying to access your accounts. You know how scary that is when it's just like someone tried to change your password or requested to change your password of all these like old live journals that I'd had and things like that, like really personal things as a teenager that I'd, you know, I was going through and trying to delete everything because I was so scared people were trying to find out things about my past and I could see that they were doing it and it was just really awful. And just the things that they were saying online was was really horrible. And and I just, I, I couldn't believe that that was happening before I'd even filmed anything. <laughs> it was really hard on Stephanie coming in with such uh, unwarranted abuse and from, from people who thought she was a replacement for the wrong reasons. So yeah, it was a total mess and it took a long time to get over it. And still every couple of streams, someone comes in and asks, where's Junglist? It's like, come on guys, get the f*** over it. It's <laughs> but they don't know, you know, they, the audience still, you know, don't know what happened and what happened behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm so sorry that uh, our audience couldn't get more information and probably still don't have all the information they want, but it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not my place to talk about the ins and outs of you know his conversations with the ABC, there was room for three of them. So it's inaccurate to it wasn't that one had to go so that Steph could come in. That was inaccurate, not true. You know, absolutely not true. There was the space for the three of them. So there were other things going down. Again, this is series producer Janet Gator. So you know, hats off to Steph. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that was like? for her, like coming in to this show where, you know, this huge storm had gone down that was the audience, they couldn't, couldn't comprehend it really. And now suddenly you've got this, this, you know, new presenter. And I remember, you know, talking to her a lot about it and going, you know, the only way we're going to get through this, the only way you are going to get people backing you is if you are yourself and the work will speak for itself. So head down, let's just get on with making the show. You do your best work, you be authentic, you be truthful, and then let's let the audience make up their own mind. While some people sought to attack Steph, Jeremy says they took it the wrong way. It was an emotional time. It was rough. It was also kind of rough because like everyone takes a situation like that and they, they look at it through the lens of their own life and they, they sort of like project their own uh, situations onto it. Like a lot of people were trying to make it a thing about me versus Steph. And um, 
like that's that's not what it was at any point like it was like Steph and I were always pretty cool like we saw each other at gaming events and at parties and we would chat and we were always pretty cool so you know it's um people kind of like make it into their own thing and then they, you, you look at what they're posting on the forums and stuff and you're like oh not really and I totally understand that as well from his perspective. And I know that he and Janet were really close at the start. So he was there at the sort of formation of this show. So I can understand why he would feel that sense of ownership over it and um, and how that would have been really difficult. And like I made an effort to go in as soon as I saw him out at an event because I knew we were bound to cross paths pretty quickly. As soon as I saw him, I, I remember going up to him and being like, hey, I just thought I should introduce myself and just let you know that I'm really sorry how everything happened. I was like, for what it's worth, I was really looking forward to working with you. And, you know, he was he was pretty civil to me after that. So we never really had any like real beef with each other. I think I just was frustrated by the stuff that he was saying that made my life very difficult <laughs> because I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heading into 2010, the new year provided a fresh start for Good Game. And after the break, how the show evolved over the following seven years and its final days on the air. As Good Game moved forward, Stephanie, otherwise known as Hex on the show due to her love of fantasy, won the audience over. While those who were upset about the hosting change were a minority anyway, a new host is always an adjustment for viewers. But with Steph and Bajo at the helm, Good Game continued its trend of high ratings and strong community engagement. Hello and welcome to Good Game, the show for gamers by gamers. I'm Hex. And I'm Bajo. Hex, a massive task ahead of us. Before Good Game, I played a certain type of game that I really enjoyed. It tended to be fantasy-focused. It tended to be adventure and RPG-focused. But through Good Game, I was exposed to a hugely broad range of genres that was really exciting. So I think I just wanted to bring my perspective as someone coming to genres of games that I'd potentially never played before and for that to be okay. And I think, again, that really added to the dynamic between us because it created a a broader sort of understanding of what video games can be to people. I feel like Steph brought a lot of perspectives that I hadn't thought about. And um, a big part of that, I think, is simply because she plays different games to me and she's a woman. And... uh, there are perspectives there that I didn't always see. She brought a, a, a new flavor to the show, and especially the kids' show. I think it's so important. It was so important to have a female perspective in the in both shows, but especially in the kids' show. You know, you've got this army of of younger gamers growing up. So Stephanie's voice in the show was so important for um, for us for us to learn about. Uh, you know, new ways of presenting content and also to have a new type of voice in the show and also for people watching the show and as a role model for, for young and old, you know, it, it, it added an acceptance. It added a thing about um, we always wanted to be like gaming is for everyone. And I think the fact that we never had a female host was letting us, you know, pulling us back and holding us back on that. And on top of that, you know, we became friends and uh, I don't think I'll ever 
have a working relationship like that with anyone again. You know, it's just such a, a rare thing to to do a show with my friend. And the fact that we're still friends uh, and still hanging out and playing games together, you know, it's been um yeah, it's been a real a real joy from start to finish with her. And she brought so much to the show, you know, so much to the show and wasn't afraid to get really silly, you know, and, and jump on my my stupid ideas uh, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> I think we just created a really good balance for each other. Um, I think when everything was going down, he was like, he was really supportive without, you know, ever being kind of patronizing or anything. He was always really helpful with everything. Bajo was really, really passionate about games and his passion is infectious and he's also he was also just very like a larger he's a very larger than life character and I think that I'm a little bit different in that respect but as a partnership it became this really wonderful thing to kind of fall into a rhythm because he was just so larger than life and I would kind of be there to kind of bring him down to a a, a reasonable understandable level but then also provide the the sort of I think passion and emotional depth that I had from my experience with the video games and I think coming at it from two different sides created this really wonderful partnership between us and the way that we approach games. And when we get feedback from people watching the show, it was cool to have that feedback coming from people who were just really invested in our relationship as much as our relationship with games. When Good Game Spawn Point was introduced in 2010, the team went from producing half an hour of TV a week to one hour across both shows. It meant a bigger production crew, including field reporters, and a lot more work. But there was clearly a need to serve younger gamers, and it allowed Bajo and Hex to branch out creatively. Hello, and welcome to Good Game Spawn Point, the show for gamers by gamers. I'm Bajo. And I'm Hex, and today... And I am Darren. Hex, did that robot just introduce itself? Affirmative. Darren. It stands for Data Analyzing Robot for the Ruthless Extermination of Noobs. I have been selected to assist you in the hosting of Good Games Spawn Point. Um, okay. Well, hello, Darren, and welcome to our very first edition of Good Game SP on ABC3. That's right, and coming up, we get your verdict. Well, I think we really loved having the two shows because it gave us the opportunity to be really creative and silly on the kids' show and then be kind of really, like, serious and nerdy on the adult show. So it kind of was like it fulfilled two aspects of our personalities, I think. Spawn Point always involved some sort of costume and, you know, silly skits and stuff like that, which we genuinely loved doing. And Bajo has such a strange comedic presence. (laughs) I think that was where he kind of got all that out of his system. And then on the main show was kind of where we got more serious with it. So, yeah, it was really wonderful having that duality in each week in the shows that we would make. It certainly was a more exhausting show to do with Spawn Point as well. But what the show brought was just huge. I don't think I realised at the time how much that show would matter and how much that show could, how much joy that show could bring us and, you know, our viewers hopefully as well. Because personally for me, what it allowed me to do is separate my silly a bit, you know? So in the adult show, I get to I get to be, hi, I'm Bajo and I'd like to talk about this serious issue in gaming and have a little bit of fun as well. But at Spawn Point, it's like, I'm Bajo, I'm stupid, I'm going to make fart jokes, let's go, you know? So it was a real chance for me to split my personality a little bit and kind of, and, and, and I think for, you know, I think for all the hosts that worked on that show over the years, a real way to just let loose a little bit and improvise more and and just get to be silly and, you know, and costumes. I really enjoy costumes. So. <laughs> all right, Darren, I'm going to have a look. Uh, Bajo, I strongly suggest you come no closer. 
I'm stuck. Oh, you've done it now. You've triggered the noob exclusion force field. Turn it off. I'll endeavour to disconnect it. Until next week, gamers, may all your games load quickly. Hex and Barjo out. Why do you have to be such a noob, Barjo? Why do you have to tickle me with your stupid rays? Since the very first episode, Good Game always had a fun and silly aspect to it, with each host given the freedom to express their own personality. While the skits and jokes never entirely left the main show, it did gradually mature alongside the hosts as well. In 2014, the show was given a refresh with a remixed theme song and gone with the matching Good Game t-shirts. Oh yeah, that was a big controversy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank Stephanie for that one. I think she really led the charge on um, let's just wear normal clothes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Good Game. I'm Bajo. And I'm Hex. Fancy new opener, Bajo. That's right, Hex. New year, new look, and most importantly, new games. Yes, loads of new games to catch up on, including the double... Good Game came about before the maturity of YouTube and other digital media, and well before the rise of Twitch and streaming. Today, there is no shortage of quality games content at your fingertips, but as a product of its time, Good Game filled a gap in mainstream coverage of games in Australia, where serious issues could be discussed and games were treated like the art form they are, worthy of smart analysis and criticism. The media landscape did begin to change during the program's time on air though, and Good Game adapted accordingly. A daily YouTube show, Good Game Pocket, focused on gaming news, was introduced in 2015, alongside Good Game Well Played, which covered esports. The team also began doing live shows and events around the country. Hello, hello. hello and welcome to Good Game Live! I am Bajo! And I'm Hex, thank you so much for coming! Yes, Yay. thank you for being here! Big round of applause for everyone! <laughs> Yeah, sorry, it's a bit aggressive. It didn't mean to be. So we did quite a lot of live shows, especially in the later years, and um, we we saw a lot of we saw a lot of our fans for the first time when we did that, and that really shocked us. You know, that really uh, it was very exciting. It was very, very, very exciting. We'd always wanted to make you know make the show for gamers, so we were always very active in the forums. Um, we tried really hard to listen to feedback. On the show, you I mean you can only listen to so much, uh, you know, because you can't please everyone all the time. But we, um, it, it was always a big part of the show. We always wanted to involve our audience, you know, old and young, make it inclusive, and and involve them as much as possible, as much as we could. But certainly, once we started doing those live shows, like that, something in my brain kind of changed for that. Just getting to to meet those people and see so many uh, of our audience, you know, in one place at the one time, all just happy and enjoying it like i actually didn't i didn't think our live show would go really well i didn't think they'd be very good at all i'm like why would people want to come watch us uh you know muck about on stage but it was the response was just so lovely so joyous and just so warm uh i think it, it really touched all of our hearts and um especially after making the show for so many years without seeing anyone yeah it, that was it was that was really special i think some of my favourite memories of the show are definitely, definitely, definitely those live shows. I mean, that was really cool. I feel like I wasn't expecting my presence on the show to resonate so much with kids, particularly young girls, but it was really kind of thrilling to get letters every week that were sent in by kids, people who'd drawn pictures of me and things like that. You know, it was just really exciting. I, I didn't... I didn't realize that girls felt like they needed permission to to like 
video games, but they were writing to me saying like, I feel like it's okay for me to say that I'm a gamer because I see you on good game and that's really cool. And all that kind of stuff was just like super thrilling. I think the crux of it was probably when we started doing public events, we had people lining up to see us and the event managers were coming and getting frustrated with us because we had so many people the queue was snaking around the entire convention center and blocking access to all of the other booths <laughs> and it was and it was just wild like it was just and it was it was such a it was a show that reached such a broad spectrum of ages and types of people that it felt just really inclusive and cool and everyone had stories that they wanted to share with us and um, some people who were like, I don't even play video games, but I just love watching the show and I love watching the two of you talk about games and it all seems so interesting. Or there'd be people who were like, I've watched the show like, you know, every day and I've seen this episode like a thousand times and you don't realize how much it, it, it resonates with people because I think for them finding it as a reflection of, of the things that they're passionate about was really important. That was really cool. And I think what was really cool as well was that like the kids show in particular had an, a near 50-50 gender split, which was really exciting. Can you recall any like particular interactions with fans that, that made an impact on you? Um, yes, um, probably um, one in particular that um, will like stay with me forever. There was one kid um, who wasn't able to visit the set because he was terminal. Um, so they asked if Bajo and I could go and visit him there. And we were like, of course, of course, we'll just tell us the time and, and we'll be there. And um, Bajo and I went and um, he was waiting for us and um, he was just so excited that we were there and um, we were just going to hang out with him for the day and play Minecraft and stuff. And he was just beside himself. Like it was just, he was like, I never thought anything like this would happen. I can't believe you guys are here. This is like the best day of my life. And, um, you know, he, he needed like an oxygen tank to help him breathe and the nurses were laughing and saying they had to keep replacing the oxygen tank because he was using so much extra air because he was so excited and talking so much and um, stuff while we were there. And we just hung out with him, played Minecraft, and he just kept repeating. He's like, I can't believe you guys are here. Like, I watch your show every day, like multiple times a day and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we were just like, you know, just telling him how just happy we were just to be there with him and have fun playing Minecraft and just being silly and, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, as we were going to leave, he was just like, um, he's like, you guys are just like, I, you know, I watch you every day and this has just like been the happiest day of my life. And it was just really, it was just a really special day. And um, I think after I left uh, with Bajo, we, we sort of said our goodbyes to him. Um, and he was just like, I don't want this day to end. <laughs> And it was just, it was like, it was really special that day. And um, as soon as we left, Bajo and I were just in tears on the street, just holding each other because it was just like, it was so sad. And he was so sweet and such an intelligent, like lively, smart boy who would have grown up to do like amazing things if he'd had the chance. And it was one of those occasions that I thought, you know, if we make this dumb show that has no real consequence on the world. It's just a dumb show about video games, but like to some people, you know, for that kid, it was every single day of his life. It was just like the highlight of his day and, it, you know, it, it meant everything to him. So that just reminded me that even though it's a dumb show, it's like it's more than that to some people. And that was really important to remember. In 
In 2016, Good Game would see another host departure. But it was a very different scenario this time around. After seven years on the show, Stephanie was looking for a change. But it wasn't an easy decision. Oh my God, yes. It was, it was awful. It was like, it was awful. I feel like I didn't necessarily want to leave the show, but I was afraid that if I stayed, the show would get cancelled and I would have nowhere to go because it was all I'd ever done and no one had ever seen me do anything else. And if I didn't leave on my own terms and prove that I, um, you know, could do other things and work at other networks and exist outside of Hex from Good Game, then I would be trapping myself in a place of unemployment and, um, and I'd be really stuck. At the same time, we just had our um, 10-year anniversary of Good Game. We'd done a really big special live episode celebrating 10 years of Good Game. And so it was really weighing on my mind that, I mean, I hadn't been there for 10 years, but I'd been there for seven and the show had been on the air for 10 years. And I was like, that's a long time for anyone to be on any one show. I was like, maybe now is the, is the time to start thinking about something else. And then at the same time we started to get, um, I think it might have been the head of television or it was the head of entertainment. I'm sorry, I'm terrible with those people and knowing who did what. But um, he had come to us and said, and sort of asked us some questions about Good Game and the future of Good Game and where we saw the show going, which was weird in itself because we'd never had any meeting like that before. Um, But he was sort of talking about the fact that they were sort of thinking about making like a nightly sort of news show and they were thinking about how Good Game could like, you know, incorporate some other elements of like media and stuff in there. And we were like, what are you talking about? Like, this is a show for gamers, by gamers, and we talk about video games. And he was like, sure, sure. I'm just kind of spitballing ideas. And we were like, okay. And then that meeting was kind of left open-ended, but it was the first kind of seed of doubt that I had implanted in me that was like, good game isn't going to be safe forever. Like people are already thinking about it being something else or turning into something else or do you know what I mean? So I was, I was worried. Then when Channel 7 approached me and Nick and we're like, we, we want to start a, a video game show uh, on our network and we have some ideas with esports and things like that. I was like, maybe this is the time to do it. Nick Richardson had joined the team in 2015 to host Good Game Pocket. Commercial station Channel 7 were developing a show called Screenplay, which Stephanie and Nick would go on to host in 2017. But I didn't want to say yes until I had heard that Good Game had been commissioned for 2017 because I didn't want to give them a reason to cancel the show. And I was worried that even though I, of course, I knew the show could exist without me, you know, I replaced a very beloved host. It's not like the show hinges on the people that host it or any one person. But I didn't want to, after that meeting, I was nervous and I didn't want to give them a reason. So we waited until the end of the year. The show got recommissioned for 2017. Over Christmas, we kept um, talking with Channel 7 and finally that was sort of finalised. And in early 2017, we went to ABC and sort of announced that we were leaving. At that point, I was like, the show is at least safe for another year because I naively thought that's how show commissioning worked. And I was like, if it's commissioned, then then they're making it. Um, but they didn't. They, they used that as, a, as an excuse to, to cancel it and they used that budget to create Tonightly. Series producer Janet Gator also left the show at the end of 2016, assuming it would continue. But she says when established presenters leave a long-running program, it's an easy decision for the public broadcaster to cancel it. 
it is very difficult when long established hosts leave, especially if they're going to go and do a rival show. And, you know, so then you weigh up, you know, are people only watching because of them? Are people only watching because it's about video games? And the truth is probably in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Could you bring new people into the show? I mean, of course, I believe, and I've told the ABC this, I'm not talking out of school, but yes, I think, of course, they could have brought new people into the show. We would have transitioned through this like we'd transitioned through other things in the show's history. Is the audience still there? Is there still an appetite for this information in the way it's delivered you know, that that was the question for the ABC. And I think they would argue, with, I think they would say, yes, there is an appetite for that, but we have other ways of doing it. And that maybe now that was a good opportunity to use those funds to try new things, you know, and that's, that's okay. I respect that. But um, yeah, it was really devastating, really devastating. It was hard, you know, like um, the whole show had been commissioned. So everyone had contracts I understand why Steph felt like that because we felt like people were watching us. You know, we felt like um, we, we felt a bit of pressure to make the show something different or something new. You know, we've been on a long time and we hadn't evolved that much, I think, in the last couple of years of the show because I don't know what we could have evolved into. We kind of were doing the same thing and I thought we were doing it really well. Uh, but the next base for us, you know, was online and we didn't have the resources to push into there. We just didn't have them. I think we were four days before we were about to go into production when Steph told me she was leaving. And my initial reaction was, holy this is a big deal. This is huge. I don't know what we're going to do to a mix of being really happy for her because I, you know, I, I think I got the sense that she maybe wanted to leave or maybe she wanted to do something else. I think I was sensing that because, you know, like I said, I knew her so well, but I didn't think she was going to do it then. I, I thought we had a whole year to try and make something different. And I thought, okay, if Steph is leaving, well, we need to find new hosts and we have time, you know, because the show's not going to be on air for a few, for a month or something. We've got pre-production. We've got time to do that. So, my my brain was like I can mourn I can mourn this later this this loss of working so closely with my friend and I can mourn that later right now I can focus on okay how do we fix this how do we how do we move forward as a show and and while a lot of that is out of my hands uh, certainly I wanted to be a part of those conversations and I don't think I really was at all over the next few days I think the decision was made pretty quickly that the show was going to be cancelled it's I I just so sad that we didn't get to say goodbye properly. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I feel like it could have kind of gone through enough of a, a change to keep existing in a different form. And of course, of obviously, I was worried that that was a, a, a potential outcome of my leaving. But I didn't. I really didn't believe that that was that that was going to happen once the show was recommissioned. And I was really upset when it didn't. And I guess my greatest regret is that I, we never got to film any sort of farewell episode. You know, the last episode of Good Game was us saying, like, see you next year. Now that brings us to the end of Good Game for this year. Come on in, guys. Come on in. My back. <laughs> now, this is our last episode of Good Game, but Pocket's still going to be around for a little bit longer, isn't it? Correct, Amundo. We'll be on until the 16th of December or the ABC revoke my pass. Whichever one comes first. <laughs> Excellent. Until next year, good game out.
With Good Game off the air, Bajo remained on Spawn Point for the remainder of his contract, before transitioning to streaming full-time on Twitch with the help of his fans. Steph and Nick Richardson moved on to Screenplay, which lasted 10 months before it too was cancelled. These days you can find them and their former Good Game team members on Twitch with their online show, Back Pocket. But the legacy of Good Game lives on at the ABC, with Spawn Point still on the air. While Games Media now looks very different to when the show first started, the team is well aware of just how special the program was for its time, and how fortunate they were to be a part of it. I loved every second of it. I love, I love the family that we built up around it. So proud of it. Love the community. Love the viewers. Love the industry. Still love playing video games. You know, like what an absolute gift and privilege it has been to make that show. Really, an absolute privilege. I think I was really fortunate to discover my passions and how I want to pursue work creatively in an industry that I think has traditionally been misrepresented by a lot of mainstream media. So I think I've kind of made it my mission, at least via work that I do at conferences and stuff, to educate people on what video games actually are, because so many people still don't know. It's really shaped how I have formed friendships in like online communities and in real life. I met my husband on Good Game (laughs) and that was really like, you know, pivotal to my experience because we work together now and we're both involved in games and it's really, you know, one of the cornerstones of our relationship is how we both work creatively in this industry. And I think as as a medium, I never saw myself really championing it above the other forms of medium that I'd previously sort of held above it, you know, theatre and film and stuff like that when I was so much younger and I wanted to be an actor and I was so excited by... Um, those mediums and video games felt like a bit of a guilty pleasure and a time waster because you know everything I'd been taught growing up from my parents was that it was just like this evil thing that you shouldn't be doing because it's just a waste of your time (laughs) and now you know I think uh, the way video games have evolved and matured and the kinds of stories that are told through interactive mediums like it is the most exciting industry to be working in and I wouldn't change it for the world because it's always changing it's never stagnant to me and Uh, I've met the best people through it. It has the most wonderful community, so I feel really lucky. I just feel pride. You know, I just feel lucky. I somehow won some sort of cosmic competition to to be in that show. I feel proud of the the work we did. I feel joy of the friendships uh, I made on that show. And um, it's just... It was just such a lucky thing to be a part of and such a lucky thing to be involved in. And I, you know, I'm so grateful to Janet for giving me the job uh, and giving me a chance. And I'm so grateful to all of our team who worked so hard. And like I said, to make me look good every week, you know, like, uh, you know, we got all the, Steph and I and our other hosts, you know, we we get all the attention, but they're the ones doing so much of the work. So it was just... um, I'm glad it was a show that meant a lot to people and um, it meant so much to me and um, I'm yeah just just grateful and proud (laughs) 
Many thanks to everyone I spoke to for this story. Janet Gator, Stephanie Bendixson, Jeremy Ray, Michael Makovsky, and Stephen O'Donnell. If this is your first time hearing about Good Game, every episode is archived on YouTube if you want to take a look. There's a direct link in the episode description and on our website, gameplay.co. And I encourage you to check out Steph and Barger's work on Twitch, and we have links to those as well. Gameplay is a production of Lawson Media. This episode was written and produced by me, James Parkinson. The gameplay theme was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our artwork is by Keegan Sanford and additional music from Epidemic Sound, Blue Dot Sessions and Breakmaster Cylinder. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Gameplay Podcast. We have Discord as well, so come and join the community. And if you'd like an ad-free feed of the show, become a Gameplay member and help us to make the podcast sustainable. You'll find all the links plus transcripts, further reading and so much more on our website, gameplay.co. Thanks for listening.